Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everybody. It's December 2nd, 2022. I'm Charlie Fink here with Ted Chilowitz and Roni Abovitz for This Week in XR. Um, well, first of all, happy birthday, Pong. This yeah, is Pong's cool. 50th anniversary of coming out on the Magnavox Odyssey. Uh, and I remember, God, I'm a geezer. I remember getting a Magnavox Odyssey for my bar mitzvah. <laughs> so you can age me by it. Yeah. Uh, and Pong was a revelation. I don't, do you guys remember the first time you saw the Magnavox Odyssey? Yeah, absolutely. I I have two very distinct members, memories of first the first time I played Pong was at uh, my girlfriend's house in Jacksonville, Florida, <laughs> where uh, their parents were pretty wealthy and they had uh, the Magnavox thing to set up Pong. And they also had the earliest pay cable thing with the option to click between HBO and Cinemax on channel 13. It was a little box like this. And that was the first time I got to use pay cable, watch a movie without commercials on a television and play Pong. I definitely remember that. And then about six months later, my parents bought a Pong for our uh, for our house in, in Florida. I mean, uh, I, I don't know, Roni, do you remember when you first saw it? Well, what, we were, uh, I grew up in Ohio. So um, we went to this, um, it's kind of like this, this uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it the Catskills, but this place called Salt Fork. And they had a whole arcade there when I was a kid. And they had an old Pong machine, you know, like the, the video game. And I would, I basically challenged all the adults. I was like, I don't know, four or something. <laughs> and I just, I, was, I spent my entire time there just like beating like, you know, teenagers and adults who were fascinated by video games. So I was a little kid, just like beating them on it. So yeah. that's my first memory of Pong. And I and I have to show you this, even though it'll only be for the people that um, are watching this on YouTube and not for the podcast. But a couple of years ago, uh, for Halloween, and I just pulled it up on my phone, so you'll have to look at it that way. My wife Jody and I went as Pong uh, as our costume. Oh, I and see. I, that's it, funny. We had a that's little great. styrofoam that square is ball. So funny. And we wore black shirts with a white stripe on them and threw the ball back and forth. And people were like, you know, people of our age were like, oh my God, you're Pong. And all the little kids were like, who, what is this? What are you, who are you? So we were Pong one year for, for Halloween. Charlie, one last thing. In the next Sun and Thunder short film, there is a Pong Easter egg in honor of the- Oh, nice. Yeah, but I won't what, say- What, is there a where... first Sun and Thunder film? That there was. And there's a couple of them out, right? There's already? a second coming out uh, next year. It'll go to different film festivals, but wow. there's a little long Easter egg hidden in it, which I think people will find cool. Wow. All right. I did not know that. Are these on your Sun and Thunder YouTube? I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Okay, great. Yeah, look forward to seeing it. So uh, last week, kind of a slow news week. So I uh, shared in the column something that has been I guess, nagging at me a little bit over the past few weeks since Meta's disappointing earning and my profound disappointment with the Quest 2. 
mm. uh, which I, I could get into, but basically it's, there's no way to charge it. There's no way to hook it up to your computer. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a little bit better. Uh, it's certainly more uh, easier to wear. I like having the open sides. I think that's really a big deal. You know, you can close them up with the little rubber thingies, little but, thing, yeah. but uh, the charging thing is very hard to get over because it's such a basic thing and you can't get it wrong. So uh, anyway, you you have that. I had that issue I've been thinking about and, you know, their earnings indicated, I, I knew that obviously that have a billion, billions of dollars loss, but I was very concerned to hear their slowing sales of the Quest 2. I know there are people who would say, well, you know, things slow down in Q3 before Christmas. People are waiting for updated versions. I, I really don't buy any of that. Um, we'll see what happens. I guess they announced uh, right after Cyber Monday that things are looking up. But, you know, they may run up against what Sony ran up against, which is everybody who wanted a PlayStation VR got one. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm, I'm a little worried that that's what's going on. Uh, with VR. And then you see some other notable struggles. I mean, Microsoft is renegotiating their $22 billion deal mm -hmm. uh, for uh, integrating the HoloLens in a, an advanced visualization system for uh, dismounted infantry. Uh, and then you have the way the whole metaverse conversation has, which started with meta and very much with VR at the center of it. And, you know, they've lost that narrative thread. You know, the metaverse is now Roblox. Uh, so that's where the metaverse conversation is anyway. Uh, and and then, you know, Meta announced that they had made a billion and a half dollars and surpassed, you know, 10,000 headsets, which is, you know, impressive and creates the right circumstances for the support for developers. Um, but, you know, Modern Warfare 2 comes out, you know, two weeks later and rakes in, a billion dollars in 10 days. So that gives you sort of a sense, in, at least in contrast of, of what uh, the state of VR is. So I think it's kind of a perilous moment for, for VR and, and could easily see Meta having to pull way back. Um, you know, they're under a lot of stress. That said, they're still huge. Uh, they're extremely popular outside of the US. So, you know, even if people are fleeing to other platforms and you know, they have an aging audience, it's still a really big company. So I, I don't know, I, you know, they're certainly not going to give up on VR, but it seems to me this is not our best moment. And Apple hasn't launched yet. So we don't even know what's happening there as a kind of alternative bright spot. But what do you yeah. guys think? Well, it's, you know, there's, a, there's something through your narrative there that's a little bit telling. And it's always been this sort of gnawing, nagging question in the back of my head is, is our head-worn devices never going to be mainstream devices, right? Are they always going to be exotic? Are they always going to be an interesting and profitable for lots of companies and extraordinarily valuable for enterprise and industry, but always a bit of a side hustle to the main screen, right? And it's an interesting sort of thing to postulate amongst the three of us and the people that we talk about, um, because I, I think whether, I, whether or not I want to admit that that is the answer, I think that's probably the answer. I think that they will become better and more efficient and more and, and more refined. But the way that our human body and our human visual and auditory system works is we don't necessarily want to cover it up, right? Um, so it becomes an exotic thing. It's, it's a bit like the difference between a Prius 
and an exotic Lamborghini that only X amount of people could own and use in the world, right? I'm sort of using this reference point of the everyman device that makes total sense for lots and lots of people to have because it's cost-effective, efficient, and super useful. And then the device that's way more exotic and not super useful, right? Unless you have a very specific need for it. Um, so I just wonder if you guys agree with that logic or not. It's an interesting sort of take on it. But let me let me wholeheartedly disagree for a sec, Ted. <laughs> okay, um, good. I, I think I think the issue is if you really study the the subject of what it takes to build it right, and I've I've spent many years on it, the number of simultaneous variables and parameters you have to get. So it's, it's all the variables, all the parameters you have to get right at the same time is 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 enormous. And that's why this is costing billions and billions of dollars. And I think the companies who are at the forefront all know it. And what they're trying to do is release things along the way, hoping that being suboptimal along those parameters will somehow open up a big enough market, right? Yeah. Because that, that happened in phones, like really, really big heavy phones didn't sell a lot. You had like four, Elvis had one. And then it, then you had like okay, 50,000 sold. And they finally got some size weight ratios right now. This is multiple orders of magnitude more complicated, but I spent like more than a decade understanding all of those. And first of all, they're all achievable. The biggest companies in the world like Apple uh, and even smaller players like Magic Leap can nail it, but it takes time to get there. And I think what's happening is like the world is expecting every time you put something that has closer to that goal, but not quite, it's a disappointment. Um, it's kind of like we're still, you know, my view is we're still in Gemini and mm. everyone thinks we're landing on the moon right now. And they just get hugely disappointed. And it's difficult because you're trying to like keep the audience with you on something that I think has like a spike. I think it's like until you get so many right at the same time, you're not going to get mass audience. You're just going to stay like cloistered, like you're saying. But but the moment you hit like size, weight, field of view, resolution, First of all, like the idea of a VR scuba helmet to me is total nonsense. You can get a very lightweight device that'll give you both. And the, and the, and the people who run the big companies, they know that. And they're just like throwing things out there to bring audience along, knowing that when they could finally do this, that's like mid to late. It's probably not even mid 2020s. If you look at what they're dropping now, I think it's like Apple will do that end of the decade. Meta will probably chase them and some smaller players might get their late 20s. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, other than that, that's too big still. Like, yeah, billions of people wear this, it, right? This is 60 grams. That's that's too big, too big. But, but like, too, so you and I have talked about this a lot, right? And this was as part of our thesis on why Apple is waiting so long is because it has to be at a different level of all those tick boxes, multiple things, right? Can't get there yet. So, when I put that's this on, you know, this is a, it's a pretty effective device. They get like three things right and seven things wrong. Yeah, you're talking about the end reel you're putting on, yeah, yeah. I use it on the plane though. I can't I stand, I love it, but I can't keep the image in my field of view mm -hmm. and I cannot comfortably get it positioned and stay in that position. Right. Because I the totally minute you move your head and it moves like a quarter of an inch, yep. Yep. <clears throat> everything is askew and you can't get the um, AR image. And as for VR, the field of view is just too small. Charlie, you know when the field really breaks through, when, when the biggest players who have all the resources who know what it takes, just commit to it and go at it nonstop. And, mm. and they stop going off in these tangents and they just go after that North Star. So mm. I think it's consistent with my 
uh, premise in general in looking at tech that we wildly overestimate what the near term is uh, going to bring and we underestimate the effects uh, long term because oh. I think again we saw that with smartphones we saw that with the internet we saw that you know with um, you know streaming and advertising and everything we thought you know in the 90s that was going to happen happened but it took 25 years so, uh, you know, I looking at immersive technologies and saying, yeah, if we tick back to 2014 or so, we add 15 or 20 years, we're looking at exactly the time frame that you just laid out, which is probably 10 years or more from now. Charlie, my, my, my current prediction is 2030, we'll have a billion daily active users. On of, of XR. one device. Of XR, yeah. Yeah, I but think. Not, that but not, but not holdable xr wearable xr wearable xr by 2030 right. okay i think i, I should that. probably write that down because i'm not sure we're going to get there because i don't know what the app is yet the killer app or the killer i mean i don't app. yeah i mean but so consumers don't care about any of the things we're talking about they want to know what's in it for them I, I think charlie there's a lot of obsession with the killer app and there actually is not a single killer app on the iphone the killer app of the iphone is it just works really really yeah, well the iphone itself. And it just nails all of the things you want to do in a mobile computer and that will happen here by the way like if you can make this i i disagree with there is a killer app on the iphone and it is the internet mm. that's what's different from previous mobile phones so, you know, I mean, there are other things in their gyroscopes and so forth, but the basic killer app, the same thing is true of the PC. I mean, how many persons- Someone else argue it's the camera. Someone could argue it's the camera, which- I would say it bundles several things that are super important, including the camera and including the GPS and, you know, the gyroscope and everything else. Obviously it, it converges, it becomes a Swiss army knife, right? It's easy to make, um, a knife, it is hard to make a Swiss Army knife um, and make it satisfy everybody who uses every different I think of. you nailed it. The, the 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 iPhone is an incredibly elegant Swiss Army knife that has depositioned probably a hundred different things. Your Rolodex, your Palm Pilot, your camera, Nikon camera, like all of those things are now buried in that little thing. This will also do that. By the way, it'll roll up everything your phone does. Right. That's one of the things it'll do. All the things your phone mm. does, it'll do and do them really well. It's a, well, but, again, you know, in convergence, uh, my book uh, that came out a couple of years ago talks about that, right? Because you need an operating system for AR. Yeah. And it's a level of refinement, right? I mean, what you guys are talking about is all the foibles of, and when you look at our iPhone, our daily use pocket computer, it is so refined. Like, think about the last time you had to reboot it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I my know, wife hardly ever ago. uses yeah. her iPad and computer. For, for consumers, you. not not for enterprise, right? but for consumers, you want yeah. that right now here. You're not willing. The problem is consumers are not willing to go for the Take ride. Steps, right, right. But in enterprise, they are because you can be very single focused. Yeah, but right in now, consumer, right. you want the refinement of the, of the iPhone 14 in what you're wearing. That's, that's, that's right. our dilemma. I agree with that. Yeah. So let, let's move on to a couple of the news pieces this week that are pretty interesting, starting with Mocopi or Mocopi, uh, which is a uh, motion capture system uh, that works on an iPhone that's being introduced. It's, it's got six trackers for $350. So th there are no more tracking towers or heavy wires leading a to a computer. It's completely wireless and you can use it for 
doing animation. You could do real-time animation. VTubers could do real-time animation in environments like in game environments or in VR chat. I think it's a pretty big deal. It's a, it's a huge deal. So, so this made the rounds in my professional realm and the other side of my world, my day job, working for a giant movie studio and a giant entertainment company. This popped up. I shared it with a lot of people. A lot of people shared it back to me because we're in the mocap business constantly. We are yes. constantly capturing things for animation, for movies, for reshoots, for all these different things. Uh, and, and just the ability to find something that might actually break down some of those cost performance barriers. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, it's, it's designed as a consumer device, but it's actually going to be used as a professional device. And that's- I, That was exactly my take. Um, Roni, you're nodding. No, no, well, I think it's like the prosumer, right? The, the YouTube influencer, the person on Twitch. It's kind of like there are millions of what we call creators, right? I think this is nailing them before it hits mainstream consumer. But it's I, I was going to say, you're going to see this all over TikTok. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I think it, I think it's going to be more. I mean, again, it's a little developery, like you said, prosumer. You know, you have to. If you want to take its results offline, like an animation scene, for example, you, you have to know how to use a game engine. Uh, you're not necessarily on a coder level, but you have to be fluent in game engine. Um, they're releasing an SDK software development kit to go along with it. So they, they seriously are focused on those prosumers. Um, you know, as and I do think there are applications, obviously, for indie filmmaking, and you know, it's going to further democratize the tools of production, which have been, you know, for game making, uh, among other things. But Charlie, I think most important thing, it's a breadcrumb into the word that we're avoiding right now, which is it's 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 a breadcrumb into the into the metaverse, where you're at, you can and enter an avatar body and embody it, like not the joke where there's no legs or you're just half a waist floating around, like full body. And I think what's really smart here is they're trying to solve that problem by testing in existing devices. And then they'll know they'll be ready when we really are in that fully immersive scale for consumers, everyone will have, this is how you will enter. But it feels like the kind of thing that's light and small enough. You know, someone will make this for 99 bucks and it'll come in a little box with your wearable one day. <laughs> and that's how you enter that world. It's funny, we had Reggie filling me on the show. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the, you know, Nintendo Wii, and, you know, how it was, uh, and before it, the Kinect, which worked with the Xbox, you know, to take your body and put you inside the simulation, in, you know, that case, obviously, you're not, don't have a headset on, but you're still seeing yourself move in real time in a fully digital world. This feels like a, a revisit of that. Remember we asked Reggie like what happened. I feel it's like a revisit of that, but looking at where the world will be five, 10 years from now. So another story, Sony, Sony was very busy this week. Um, I don't know if you guys recall, they bought Hawkeye Innovations. Hawkeye was working on capturing telemetry of athletes. Um, and they have added to that uh, a company called Beyond Sports, which takes that Hawkeye data and turns it into animation. Mm -hmm. So, Ted, you and I talked about a system that I saw up at the University of Washington uh, where they were trying to do the same thing. And, of course, uh, mm -hmm. once you do that, you can um, 
use that to create a real-time animation of the game, a, a volumetric animation of the game, which means right. if you're watching them with, with a, you know, volumetric glasses or see-through or pass-through, um, you could have a tabletop version of the game. You could scale it up as much as you wanted. You and your friends uh, could share at the same time a, sim a game level simulation if you wanted. And you could watch these not actual athletes because volumetric capture in a stadium, uh, it would be technically impossible, right? Now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but this is a workaround and it seems to me a very profound uh, innovation if they can commercialize this. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the key touch point, right? Is we've seen these various stages of ultra, ultra exotic, extraordinarily expensive ways to do this. But now, just like the mocap system, what we're seeing is this pull down of the price performance curve, right? So you're getting the kind of performance that's required, but not, but without that heavy, heavy price tag that only a small number of people can afford. So you start to open this market up. It's really interesting. Very smart from Sony's perspective to start doing this stuff because they're understanding where those users and customers want to be and the things they want to do. And they're just trying to bring the price down so that more people can do it, which is fascinating. Very similar to linking a really high quality camera to a smartphone, right? In the beginnings of that, you still had to use a professional camera if you were a professional. These days, it's all hybridized. There's, there's really no difference between someone using a, a camera on their iPhone or their Samsung phone or their Google Pixel phone versus a high-end Nikon or, um, or Canon camera except for that deep nuance of, you know, the, the heavy bulk and the real lenses and all the stuff, right? But achievable wise, kind of at parity. Um, and I think that's the goal set of all this stuff. I, I think, Ted, <laughs> what, what, you're, what you're saying is completely true, but also I think, I think the idea of, of Sony as a really smart, careful player here that could be incredibly important in like XR and Metaverse, I think they're actually a company to keep a really big eye on. They've kind of not been in the center but if you look at all their moves and what they're doing, the upcoming VR headset, what they're doing with the new uh, PlayStation, I think they're being incredibly smart. Well, this is what I this is what I was saying with regard to Call of Duty Modern Warfare, because most of those sales had to do with the PlayStation uh, 4 and other devices that Sony made. So we're talking about hundreds of millions of devices. Um, so, you know, we don't talk about Sony a lot, but think of the scale of Sony versus what Meta is doing on the Quest. It's 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 almost unimaginable, the difference. You know who could really rival Apple? It's Sony. Yeah, sure. And if you think about it, Apple had Sony lust back when Steve Jobs mm. was running. Like basically, he he loved Sony. Sony was the dominant company, the Walkman. Everything. Right, they made the Vio, the small first really small computer. He reinvented Sony as Apple. But think about in this next era, Sony has all the elements to actually be the rival to Apple. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting. I don't think it's Meta. I actually or Microsoft. I think Microsoft's too busy with their enterprise stuff. I actually think it's Sony versus Apple that's going to be really interesting. Mm -hmm. hmm. First time I really thought about that, but that's a very interesting insight, Ronnie. So we got a couple more stories to get to, but that was the top of the news this week. There's a company uh, called Common Ground that I had never heard of. They also are using a smartphone to scan you to put you into. Um, an enterprise-first uh, collaborative environment, sort of like a 2D-ish version of Workrooms or Arthur or you know one of the other uh, collaboration apps that was uh, popular during the pandemic. We haven't heard much from them recently. 
Um, but I thought that was really interesting. They've raised over $45 million. I should also yeah. say it's an Israeli company, but it's notable because I've never heard of them up until now. Yeah, and it's an interesting sector, right? We're seeing lots of these like use your phone, hold your phone, migrate your phone around your body and get a pseudo photorealistic capture that you can use as an avatar and use to bring into games and use to do. It's, it's clearly a trend, right? Of how do I bring, how do I embody myself in the internet? How do I embody myself in the metaverse? And how do I do it in a way that I can use consumer tools that I already have? Um, so clearly that's a sector that's raising money, which is interesting. And yeah, that. it's interesting there. I mean, and it's 2D. It has nothing to do with immersive technology other than dressing up your player your, character. Your avatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the interesting thing. I think we know the end game is probably going to be uh, a small thing with some really specialized sensors, like what your webcam serves as today. So you have some yes. continuous thing, but it's probably going to have a lot to do with machine learning and AI, like Nerf and some of the incredible stuff that's happening right now with like stable diffusion, where Charlie, you will just emerge, not partially there, but like perfectly there. We're just a couple of years away from like incredible change in like graphic fidelity and what AI is doing. I mean, it's happening like almost every week right now. This, oh, this, this is, is this is a great segue to another story that was in the column this week, uh, which I was being harassed by this guy, Alfred Wolfforce, who with a couple of buddies up at MIT made an app for stable diffusion. So for six bucks, you can upload a bunch of pictures of yourself and uh, start asking the Beefake app to put your avatar in different situations. So they started to convince me to try it. They started sending me pictures of that they had obviously grabbed from the internet of me in spacesuits and, you know, as a Renaissance painting and everything else. So they finally got me to spend six bucks. And uh, I thought it was worth mentioning because we talk about this technology a lot. And here's an opportunity to actually do it yourself for a couple of bucks in a way that's relevant to you. So uh, just really, I mean, I have the, the impossible for this app to scale. Just if it did, it would kill them with, with um, you know, hosting fees because stable diffusion is a very large, large program in the cloud uh, that that no one could you know, individual or small company could obviously own. You buy little pieces of its computing time through AWS and other uh, cloud hosting platforms. So anyway, uh, worth trying out, I think. Yeah, I saw your images. They're fun. It's fun to look at. <laughs> so that's about all the news we have this week. We don't have a guest this week. Um, next week, we have uh, Hendrik Witt, um, and uh, we'll be talking about uh, Enterprise XR, uh, and um, and he's uh, a great guest, nice guy. He's been around the industry with us for years. Um, so we had a tight 30 today, guys. Um, oh, also one thing, Ready? I meant to bring this up. Roni said in the pre, uh, you know, the green room, oh, you're into Red 6, because I posted a story about Red 6 and BAE Systems making a deal at ITSEC, which is the military simulation conference that just wrapped in Orlando and Ronnie said, oh, you're really into Red Six because I dropped this feature about how I hurled in their Air Force trainer. And, <laughs> and the reason I'm into them is like at a moment when IVAS is struggling and Microsoft is, is and, and, and the whole lens are, are speaking of, you know, XR being in peril are having their deal renegotiated with 
the army, you have this fantastic new AR technology that is being used in moving airplanes to train pilots that is sort of maturing quickly and being adopted quickly because it solves such a well-known pain point in the training of people to use this, you know, incredibly expensive and dangerous equipment. So that's why I talk about Red Six. This is a, a bright point, point for us right now. Um, it's solving a real world problem with, you know, technology that we've been studying for years. So, you know, good on them. The guy, Dan Robinson, who started it is a pilot, you know, so he's coming from the right place, right? He's starting with the problem, not with the technology. So um, really, so I'm going to continue to write about them because I like writing positive stories mm -hmm. and uh, especially here uh, where you can see how it's really going to help people and uh, help our country. And, uh, you know, it's all good, bright and sunshine. Have a great weekend, you guys. And thanks, everybody, hey, for listening. I had, I had one one more little ad. Oh, uh, yeah, go. Very quick. So the <laughs> I think the one of the most important metaverse things coming up is the new Avatar movie. Uh, my friends, oh, yeah. my friends in New Zealand, what uh, work got to work on it, and you know that what I'm hearing is it's just incredible. But but here's my take on it: when the first one came out, it gave people a glimpse of what being in a truly cinematic metaverse would feel like, because you were kind of in a theater, you're wearing the 3D glasses, you got this glimpse, and people had like avatar depression; they wanted to be in this beautifully realized world, and and compare that to the pretty badly designed terrible things that are passing off as like welcome to the metaverse something that looks like from the early 90s right and then you go back to like you know 2009 2010 just that first avatar movie when you see this coming one i think people have the feeling like when you say the word metaverse i want that i want to wear something as light as a pair of oakley's that does all the things i want that runs all day has amazing resolution really good sensors and i want to be in that kind of world by the way, that is what I believe is possible. But I think when that movie comes out, it's something we should talk about at depth because it's going to be the kind of thing when people think metaverse, it's what they want. And they don't want to be given the kind of lower tiered 25 years ago graphics. They want that. And the question is like, how do you summon all of that with the NVIDIAs and cloud and gigabit fiber networks and all of the computing firepower and AI that's possible? I really believe it is possible to get there. I think the gap between a movie of that quality and our ability to get there and, and do it in kind of like very near or human real time, which is like within a few milliseconds, hundreds of frames per second, the right 4K to 6K resolution per eye, get all the physiological parameters right. The biggest companies in the world have the compute power and they have the budgets to nail that. This is the interesting thing. And I think that's that's the gap. When we go, why aren't people excited? Because I don't want to be in a 1990s Nintendo world, right? I want to go beyond those proofs to the real thing. So I think when you're in that theater watching it, this is a conversation we should have again after it comes out. But I feel like maybe the most important metaverse signal about what mass audience really wants. And imagine multitudes of worlds like that. Right. By the way, like I, I got to hang out with Arthur from Somnium and, you know, he's not quite there, but he's trying to push his Somnium world into that direction. You know, that it feels like you have that freedom and flight and riding hover bikes and all these amazing things and not the kind of stupidity in some of these other unnamed ones. I'm not going to call them out. They just look horrible. They feel horrible. There's nothing to do. And what you really want is that excitement and enjoyment. So anyway, that's my diatribe for the for today. That's good. I'm very thrilled about this little triad of discussion that we now have every week. <laughs>
I'm going to finish on a, on a personal note because I was thinking about the Magnavox in 1972. And, you know, I, you guys probably like me were raised in front of a TV set. And, you know, my parents didn't give it a second thought. They're like, oh, they're parked. That is good. Mm -hmm. and they didn't care what we were watching. They didn't care how long we watched it. You, you know, you would get television head where you'd stand up and be dizzy because you had sat there concentrating on the television for so long and terrible, terrible content. But is it any surprise that I have spent my life you know, studying this medium, being a part of this medium, uh, and now teaching uh, this medium? I think, you know, it's sort of like, you know, that kind of makes sense. You know, they didn't know what was going to be the result of that experiment that they they did on us. But yeah. look at where we are now. And it makes me think, look at today's 13-year-old playing Roblox, being exposed to spatial computing, starting to think about the internet differently. And it makes you realize that, you know, the next Steven Spielberg is going to be a world builder. Yeah, completely agree. That's a good, good statement to end on for this. All right. Thanks, you guys. Love our meetings on Friday. Hope you enjoyed it, uh, listening to it, folks, as well.